0: you follow with me would you follow with me as I read this passage for today on the screen? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this place. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your body, for this community, for these volunteers, for this building that we can come together in community and worship praise you and give you the glory for the salvation of our souls. Give you the praise for the suffering of our days. We surrender this to you. In your mighty name we say, amen. Y'all can go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. Amen. Well, hey, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If this is your first time visiting or haven't met me yet, I am Jordan. I am our online pastor and then one of our teaching pastors here at C3. And so I have the privilege of being able to uh, run all of our social media accounts and keep our website up to date and all that fun stuff and then be able to teach as well. And if you are visiting today or if you've been traveling throughout the summer, then you are on the tail end of our summer series called Summer Essentials. And when we came up with the series, Brad wanted us to wear some fun shirts. And this shirt was uh, provided to you by our our worship leader, Nicole Walker. And she texted me last week and said, hey, I found a shirt I want you to wear next Sunday. And so um, I also take Chipotle gift cards and Panda (laughs) gift cards and anything the color orange. So anyway, uh, that is why. So next week, if you are here for our new series... Um, we probably won't have the fun shirts anymore unless you riot. Then we might bring them back. But anyway, Summer Essentials, we've been in this four-week series because we recognize that when summer hits... So does the routine, and everything gets discombobulated and shuffles. And for those of you who have kids, when you welcome the kids back into the house Monday through Friday during the days as school is out, and everything just gets out of sorts and discombobulated, and life can be disruptive, and just getting back into a new routine. And so for the last four weeks, we've just talked about different topics, trying to recenter our focus, reset our attention back on Jesus, and back into a healthy routine, into habitual practices of what does it look like for us to keep Jesus at the center. And so week number one of the series, four weeks ago, Brad talked about and really just shared his heart about what we've been seeing as Christ followers, as churches, um, and how we treat people um, who view things differently than us, but then also how do we interact with one another? How do we interact with one another? And challenging us to have a spirit of gentleness and a voice of gentleness and a posture of gentleness. And then week number two, which was kind of part one of this two-part message, we're gonna wrap up the second part today, uh, talking about week number two was talking about sudden moments and life's disruptions. And when life happens, don't forget the fish and walk through Mark chapter six about how in the first half of Mark chapter six, Jesus performs this incredible miracle, walking through Jesus, feeding the 5,000 men and probably 13,000 total human beings with just one large sea bass fish and then a few pieces of bread. And then the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of leftovers, brought them into the boat, and then sailed across the lake. And in the middle of the night, the lake started becoming super shaky. And Jesus is like, hey, I know what to do. I'll just go walk on water and be with them. And they're terrified for getting the miracle of the fish as their fears overcome them. And Mark 6 says that this happened in the boat because their hearts were hardened and they didn't understand the fish. And so we talked about in that part one message of when sudden moments strike, when things are disruptive, whether it be a hundred different disruptions throughout the day or something a little bit more major that takes a few days or a week or a few weeks to come to terms with, how do we respond? And for many of us, there's four different reactions. There's the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Fight is when you are typically more aggressive in an unhealthy way more times than not because it's an emotional response. Flight is when you're like, hey, I'm out of here, okay? Again, often in an unhealthy response rather than, approaching the conflict. You flee from the conflict. Fawn is when you're just kind of like, I'm going to people please. I'm going to just please whatever situation um, I can around um, the environment so that I can just continue going and not have to cause any conflict to myself or engage in it. I'm just going to be present and people please those around the situation. And then freeze is... Kind of what I do, and when the dog is running at you from across the street, and you're like, Theo, are you going to take care of that? And you're just like, okay. Freeze is when we are just literally frozen in the conflict. And then I added a fifth F with fish. Hey, what would it look like for us to fish it up and not forget the ways that Jesus has moved in the past? That was week number two. Last week then, Brad kind of had an Easter Sunday 2.0. And we were joking in the office this week. Jake said, Jordan, I don't know how we're going to be able to follow that week. And it's a good thing that it's not about us, and we don't have to worry about following the week, because I can just be average today. Because worship team crushed it, and so we're great, okay? <laughs> but last week, Brad talked about interrupting Jesus. And what does it look like for us to actually interrupt, to, to get in Jesus' space, whether pleading for a miracle, asking for healing, asking even just for comfort. And he walked through multiple different stories. One where, where the woman touched Jesus' robe and then was healed. And how she personally interrupted Jesus. And then the second story he shared was when uh, this person, this crippled person's friends carried, Jesus, uh, carried this man and then dropped him through a roof to interrupt Jesus that way. So that he could heal them because they couldn't get through the doors. And it was a really powerful service. Where at the end of the service, Brad had people come up and interrupt Jesus. And we prayed and we wept and we, we, we praised and we sang. And it was so cool for us to be able in community to interrupt Jesus. Today I wrap up this series, Summer Essentials, talking about a really heavy topic of Suffering. And the title of the message I'm stealing from one of the greatest worship bands of the 80s, you know them as Poison, and, and Brett Michaels, and uh, famous hymn of Every Rose Has Its Thorn, okay? See, some of you might have looked at me and thought, there's no way he knows Brett Michaels now. Every Rose Has Its Thorn got me through high school, okay? Now, that was only seven years ago, but got me through high school, and so uh, we're talking about suffering today and wrapping up this series, and it's kind of a part two of the message, because in week number two, when we talked about disruptions and sudden moments and when life hits, how do you react, okay, we avoided the traumatic experiences. We weren't talking about grief and loss and mental illness, and when you lose your job, or when you're struggling and battling infertility, or dealing with different illnesses that some may be terminal, part one of the message is more so just talking about the sudden disruptions, where we're forced to forced respond in the moment, but then there's a the second half of suffering where it's not just a momentary response that is required. It's an everyday choice where you wake up and you choose to keep breathing. When suffering becomes suffocating, how do you respond then is how we're gonna wrap up this message today. And there were so many different directions that you can take a a message on suffering, and and this is actually only the second time in the four years I've been on staff um, that I've been able to teach on just the topic of suffering. I've taught on, you know, different aspects of suffering and mental illnesses over the last four years. But the first message that I ever taught here as a teaching pastor back in 2018 that they brought me into was, if God is good, why does suffering exist? Like, can you imagine, like, getting hired on as a church and like, hey, this is the question you're gonna answer as a, as a 22-year-old out of college. I'm like, okay, love Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and four years later, I'm still, like, wrestling with that question. I think it's one of those heavy conversations that if you don't ever approach, ever question, ever doubt and have those tough situations where you're not sure where you stand, then you're often just avoiding the conflict, avoiding the suffering, pushing it down. And it will come out in different ways in your life. So I could approach you that topic, but we're not going to walk through that conversation today um, there's far wiser people than me who can walk you through and still not give you a great answer. And so rather than spending 30 minutes not giving you a great answer on that, um, we're going to talk about a different aspect of suffering. And it actually came from um, just polling some of my friends on, on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, just asking them, what do you want to hear a message on? And there were 10, 10 different people who shared 10 uh, very different questions or thoughts or ideas that they had. Some people were wondering like, hey, do all Christians need to experience some form of suffering? And if so, then why do I not feel like I'm suffering? Am I not Christian enough? And that was one of the questions. And it's honestly a very humble question. It's asking like, hey, am I doing this right? Because Jesus time and time again says, you need to pick up your cross daily and you're going to experience this type of weight. And you've got Paul talking about the benefits of suffering. And Peter, like we just read, talking about the benefits of suffering and why we suffer, and our reward from suffering, okay? And so that was one direction I could take. I could talk about Christian persecution and that aspect of suffering. I could talk about um, when you personally are suffering from self-inflicted suffering, decisions I've made has caused suffering and consequences, or when other people have made decisions causing suffering for me. When the church hurt me, when that Christian hurt me, when that family member hurt me. And that's another aspect of suffering that we could talk about. Today, what, what, one of the comments that I saw is what happens when you are praying for healing, when you're asking God to move, and God says no. And God doesn't heal. God doesn't save. Because a lot of times we like to focus on all of the miracles of Jesus. And all of the times when God comes and steps in. And we see this, this, really this picture perfect theology of we always get our way. But then we live life and we recognize that 99% of the time our plan really stinks. And God doesn't save the person you lost. God isn't able to save the marriage. God doesn't let you have that really nice 401k and awesome company car. God doesn't heal your child, doesn't heal your womb, doesn't take away the anxiety. So today what we're gonna be talking about is what happens when God says no. No. And not just what happens, but then also just as a church coming to grips with that God says no a lot. And people are sinful, people are hurtful, and suffering really stinks. And so before we walk through this message today, I just kind of want to validate possibly what you're feeling or experiencing, or in some of the suffering that you've walked through throughout your life. We've got 20 minutes today. We're not going to be able to cover it all, but I just want you to know that I see you and that your suffering matters. And that it is raw and that it hurts and that it is unfair and that it is sometimes violent and aggressive, and you would wish anything other than to be going through what you're going through now. In fact, that's why it's called suffering, because if it was called enjoyable, It'd be Chipotle. Like, let's just be honest here, you know? Like, you don't enjoy suffering. I haven't met anyone that, like, thrives when they're in the moment. And they're like, you know what? I love this. This is better than, like, Chuck E. Cheese as a five-year-old, you know? That's why it's suffering. To say it inappropriately, suffering sucks. There's nothing enjoyable about it. Even Paul recognized that. And still, he understood that there were benefits and rewards that God knows are far too greater to give up than the suffering itself. And so this isn't going to be a popular message today. If you have to tally up your favorite Jordan messages, this might be on the bottom. Because we're going to be real honest here and bold truth in sharing that, hey, Christian or not, you're going to suffer. And Christian or not, God often says no because our plan is so inferior to God's plan. And you're going to walk through things and experience loss, experience heavy, intense levels of grief, walk through suicide ideation and anxiety and depression and eating disorders and being shunned from a community and hurt by churches and hurt by Christians because that's what sin does. But God recognizes that the benefits of suffering are far too greater than the suffering itself to give up the suffering. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And here's something that I've recognized. Here's something that, and I was going to talk about just particularly my generation, but honestly, as I thought more deeply about it, this is something I see uh, across the board um, people, Christ followers, as of recently really struggling with, is leaning on feel-good faith. Leaning on feel-good faith and feel-good emotions, where I'm only going to lean into God when it's just feeling good. When life doesn't stink, that's when I go to church. When life isn't busy, that's when I prioritize church. When sports season isn't intact, that's when I make sure my kids are at church. Different thing, left and right, and it's all of these different excuses that we come up with because we, in our, especially in Western culture, we don't see this so much in the Eastern Church. In we, the Western Church, experiencing feel-good faith, I call it fast-food faith, where you have what you want when you want it, even though it's grade D meat, it still gets there in two minutes or less. Okay. Side note: Bruce loves Taco Bell. I'm not sure how you can love Taco Bell when you can spend $3 more and get a Chipotle bowl. I'm just not positive, okay? It doesn't taste good going in, and it doesn't feel good coming out, okay? That's Taco Bell. That's a different level of suffering. Part three of the message, coming later. Brad's like, wrap this joke up. That was, that's once again, not in the notes. And so, uh, <laughs> And that's why I shouldn't say jokes about Bruce, because then I forget where I'm going. And so different levels of suffering, different types of all of these different experiences and walking through, okay, what happens when we're solely relying on feel-good faith, fast-food faith, is what happens then when the addiction takes control of our life, we walk away from God. When the priorities become way too busy, we walk away from God. And then suffering hits and we're like, what happened? happened? Why is my kid struggling? Why am I struggling? Or you experience different levels of intense grief and loss. And often in the first month or two after the grief and loss, you'll see Christ followers reapproach the community of the church. And then after the new normal sets in, start pulling themselves away again. Or when the church hurts people. And some people have been really intensely abused by Christians, by pastors, by the church. And have needed to step away and to find healing in a safe space. But then there's always that tension of how Jesus created the church to be a body of believers as a safe community, and so there's that tension that people will feel in their soul. I did when the church hurt me, having to wanting to come back, desiring to come back, a safe place to be in community. But you wrestle with that tension. And a lot of times, like I said, it's because we rely on feel-good faith, reading the Bible when it feels good, going to church when it feels good, trusting in God when it feels good, but then suffering hits and our faith falls apart. Because here's the reality, feel-good faith Never works. If you knew how often I felt good about coming up here and teaching, you'd ask for another teaching pastor. (laughs) Same with our worship pastor and with Brad. I mean, he never feels good. (laughs) I'm sorry, Brad. This is, if you remember last week, the last four weeks, Brad and I have been going back and forth, just like jab, 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 jab. And then last week he threw a paper at me sitting in the front row Okay, and I got really hurt okay, physically and emotionally. And so I'm like, you know what, today we're not holding anything back. Just jab right in the, right in the left gut out here for Brad. Just right, you know, like, all right, we're moving on. And so dealing with this, you got to add some comic relief when you're talking about a heavy topic like that. And thankfully, Brad is a very confident person in who he is. Unfortunately, he's confident for the wrong reasons, but he's confident nonetheless. And so, um, okay, and so you're dealing with the suffering, and you're dealing with fast food faith, and walking through the questions in life, and then you present your request to God, and you say, God, take this from me. Take this anxiety. Take this depression. Take these struggling. And God says no. And then what do you do with that? And it's something First Peter, what Peter's addressing, is especially in verses 6 through 7, okay, this is the context for this, for this chapter, but not just this chapter, this book. Peter, the epistle, is writing this probably sometime between 62 and 68 AD. It can't be much later than 68 AD, because that's when he was martyred. Um, but they're not sure if they wrote First Peter and 2 Peter back to back in those last few years of his life. But he's writing to Exiles to Christians who have been hurt by the church, been hurt by Jewish synagogues. And why this is so fascinating so important is here's what happened, okay? When Jesus died and resurrected, rose from the dead, and then launched the church, there were culturally Jewish people who had grown up Jewish their entire lives who then made the decision to become Jesus followers. Then you had culturally Jewish people who made the decision to ignore Jesus' life and stick religiously Jewish. And so then after Jesus then ascends to heaven, he resurrects and he goes, goes up to heaven, then you have this huge split in the Jewish church because the Jewish religious people told the Christian Jews they were no longer allowed to worship with them. And so they were exiled from their safe spaces, the places they grew up in, going to the temple, going to sacrifice, all of their cultural things that were still intact, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the laws and the prophets and everything, they're being told you no longer can have this. This is only for you if you denounce Jesus. And so they're abandoned, they're kicked out, and then they start being persecuted by Rome and by the Jews and by other people such as Paul who went from city to city murdering and killing Christians. And so they're on the run for years and years and years and they're being forced out of their places, forced out of Galatia, Peter says. And then in verse six and seven, and this is how he responds, in the midst of all of that suffering. In all of this, we greatly rejoice though now for a little while we may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I love how Peter, he validates what they're feeling. He says your suffering really stinks. Your losses stink. Your pain stinks. Your mental illness stinks. Your abuse is awful. Then he says in verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. He says, gold, one of, their, one of their greatest valuable resources in their culture. He says, even that will disappear under enough pressure and heat, but not your faith. He says, even under great fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is Revealed. Friends, here's the reality. Suffering exists whether you're with Jesus or you ignore Jesus. Suffering is gonna happen. The difference is that Christ followers have hope of a greater eternity. I'm not even gonna say a better tomorrow because suffering, especially if you experience grief or different abuses and different PTSDs and traumas that are with you for your life. And yes, Jesus or God could so easily, just like we see in the story, snap his fingers or um, provide the healing or even just say the word and your suffering disappears. But as we see in Romans chapter 5, where Paul says that suffering produces perseverance and joy and greatness and happiness and maturity. God recognizes because his plan is far more, I don't even have the right word for it, holy, holier than ours, that you would not be the person you are today for the good reasons if you had not walked through the intense suffering you did. And it doesn't make it easy. Like I said earlier, suffering stinks. There are far deeper and heavier words <laughs> to use than stinks. As Jesus is pleading with God in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking God, is there another way? I don't want to go through this. Take the cross away, take the thorns away, take the blood away, take the betrayal away. Is there another way? And God says no. No. John the Baptist, he's on his deathbed. He reaches out to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I'm about to be beheaded. I'm about to be killed for following you and for calling out inappropriate relationships. And Jesus says, no, I can't stop it. We see the miracles of where Jesus calls the the person to pick up his mat and walk and, and be healed where he's stepping over the other cripples and the other people who are paralyzed to get to the one person he's going to heal when there's dozens of people around him, 99% of the time, you're stuck with your suffering. And again, I said, that's not gonna be a popular thing. If, if you want, like, I mean, it's very, I, when I was in college, my professor said, if you wanna blow up a church and turn it into a mega church and have thousands and thousands of people, don't talk about hard stuff and just sell sell happiness, sell joy, sell the gospel. Say, if you do this, then you'll be completely free. And here's the reality. If you follow Jesus or if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to experience intense amounts of suffering. You're gonna battle addiction. You're gonna battle pride. You're gonna battle grief and loss. And sometimes there's healing right now. But the majority of the time, it is maturing you for how God is going to use you, and for those of you you know my uh, a lot of you know my story. I Lost my dad at seventeen. I've battled mental illnesses for the last twelve years, anywhere from anxiety to suicide ideation. I've been in it, and I have prayed the prayers to be healed of suicide or of mental illness. I've asked God, "Will I always feel this way?" I've done all the right things. I've been a part of the church. I haven't given up, and still. God says no. And so what do you do when God says no? First, you grieve, you hurt, you weep like Jesus did when Lazarus was dead. You pray like Jesus did when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. But it's validating those feelings and emotions. You don't have to act. Please don't act like everything's Okay. It's not what God wants. It's not what Jesus wants. It's not what the Holy Spirit wants. Okay, there's gotta be moments, not just a phase that you go through. Okay, the author of the five stages of grief, after he recognized how different, um, you know, people were studying his five stages of grief, he was disgusted because they recognized this wasn't just you move on from one stage and go on to the next. It's five stages that you'll visit throughout the rest of your life, and that's very similar to the suffering you're going to experience. You're gonna experience suffering at a young age, at a middle age, and so on and so forth. And so there's gotta be a time where you validate what you're feeling, saying, God, this stinks. There's nothing about this that I enjoy. You could have at least thrown some Chipotle chicken in there. You know, like just something, like a little ice cream on the side. Then what do you do? You lean in. Some people try to think about suffering for the rest of, I don't know how I'm going to live without my kid for the rest of my life. I don't know how I'm going to walk through anxiety for the rest of my life. If you think about eternity, God hasn't done, God hasn't prepared you and hasn't equipped you for the rest of your life yet, okay? He has equipped you and prepared you for where you are right now. So if you try to think about how you're going to survive next week or next month or next year, you're never going to make it. And how do I know that you can survive this moment? Because you've survived everything thus far, and God has perfectly equipped you for this. So lean in. When God says no, lean in. Plug in. Okay, yeah, I had someone ask me a question because the next thing I'm gonna say is surrender to Jesus. I had someone ask me a question this week. What does surrender even mean? We talk about surrender all the time at the church. What does it mean? We had a great conversation, but in simple, in layman's terms, surrender is in humility letting God have his way. And God doesn't need your permission, but surrender is in humility letting God have his way. Saying, you know what? I didn't want to walk through my suffering. I didn't want to lose my loved one. I didn't want to be fired. I didn't want to do A, B, C, or D. But God, you know the plan. And you've equipped me for this moment, not for the future. So I'm going to live in this moment. I'm not going to fear about the future. That's why, that's why Jesus says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Paul struggled with this. Paul, who we praise as this huge apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he walked through when God says no, when suffering persists, when suffering suffocates, what to do? If you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're gonna walk through these passages as we close today. I think I started verse one on the slides, Yep. I must go on boasting. You see, he had just stopped boasting in chapter 11 about his weaknesses, about his suffering. Isn't that crazy to be boasting about? He says this, although there is nothing to be gained about boasting, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, which some scholars, they wonder, okay, what's Paul talking about here? Um, A lot of people believe the third heaven is the space where Um, God in different visions, in different transcendence experience where they're able to have a glimpse of what heaven or what eternity is like. We have a few stories throughout the Bible of this quote unquote third heaven. But Paul isn't even sure and he goes on to say that next. He says this, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. Isn't that an incredible thing for us to say? I don't know how I'm gonna survive tomorrow. I don't know how I'm gonna live I don't know how I'm gonna move on, but God knows. That's surrender. That is what it looks like. He grieves, he weeps, he prays, and then he says, you know what? I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but God knows. Verse three, and I know that this man, again, he says it, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. Verse five, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do. He's still talking about boasting about his suffering, and then this is when it gets good. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, verse seven, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, becoming exalted, thinking too much of myself, I was given not a new Maserati, not a new 401k with a nice new brand new company house. I was given a thorn in my flesh. And then this is interesting. He says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. See, even God can use what Satan uses for evil for good. Isn't that so inspiring? Like when we have Romans eight twenty-eight, also written by Paul, and he says, hey, every good gift is a gift from above, and God can use everything for his glory, even what Satan is in control of. For he says, I have a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, Because God turns what torments us into triumph. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away this thorn. And then this is God's response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak then I am strong three times Paul pleaded for God to take his suffering away we don't know what it was maybe it was an addiction a temptation maybe it was a loss a struggle a grief a mental illness, we have no idea. But I love that because then it is relevant for us with our thorn. It doesn't mean don't keep praying. It doesn't mean don't keep being compassionate and weeping and grieving that which you've lost. It just means recognizing that every rose has a thorn. I want to end with this. There's something called the pruning process, okay? It's something that we've talked about and we recognize and we accept in all of our other areas of life. But when it comes to human suffering, we don't like the pruning process, okay? We accept it with diamonds, that diamonds to be formed require pressure. We accept it with going to the gym, putting our bodies through intense workouts, ripping the old to come back stronger as what's new, accepted with gold of being refined by fire or metal making, refined by heat. We accept in areas of our life that it is necessary for pressure to be exerted, except with suffering. When I was studying this last week and um, you know, love the idea of the rose and the pruning process, where when you're pruning your roses at the end of the season to come back stronger the next season, you cut off quite a bit. Part of it is to prevent disease, decay, to cut out what's dead or dying or what's no longer needed. Ooh, isn't that so good with suffering? That God is kind of pruning us from what's no longer needed for the next journey of our lives. Sometimes cutting away pride, sometimes cutting away being conceited. Sometimes if we are transitioning jobs and we're taking a, much smaller paycheck, you're like, hey, yeah, you just don't need that in that next season. It's so different. But the pruning process, whenever it comes to human suffering, we often like, walk away from. We're like, this doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. But you're going to go through suffering with or without Jesus. And so what does it look like for you to have hope and a better eternity? To say, in surrender, in humility, God, I don't like anything about this. This is hard. This journey sucks. But I am going to give this to you and let you have your way. Because suffering produces perseverance and maturity and growth and joy and trust in Jesus. Without suffering, you wouldn't be the person you are today for the best reasons. And so in your suffering, when God says no, don't walk away. Don't leave. Lean in, weep, grieve, and then in humility, with hands lifted high, let God have His way. Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father? God, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for the thorn in my flesh. For the thorns that I have in my life have produced a stronger person, a more mature person but more importantly, a greater and deeper love for you. And so God, we give you our thorns and we say, Lord, no matter where we are, we don't like it, we don't love it, we don't appreciate it, but God, we reap the benefits of our suffering for joy comes in the morning. In your name I pray, amen.